Well, hello, folks, and welcome back to My Parents' Basement. Ralph coming at you with another podcast. That's right. It's been a while, but we're back. And we're back because, honestly, I have not had the resources to post a podcast in the last couple months, but I really figured I needed to get this podcast up because I interviewed my cousin Mark back in January or February now, and I just haven't had the chance to edit it, but his book is coming out, and I wanted to have the podcast live uh, while his book is available for pre-order. So it is available for pre-order now at www.strongerphilanthropy.ca slash book. I'll put the links in the show notes. And you can order his book, Love Giving Well, The Pilgrimage of Philanthropy, from the publisher or Amazon at that site. So I'll put that in the description. And I would love for you guys to check that out. And uh, also, while you're there, be sure to check out Stronger Philanthropy and and look at the great things that... Uh, his organization is doing there. I'm going to keep the intro brief here because we had a great conversation and this podcast needs to go up. So I hope you enjoy the conversation I had with Mark about his pilgrimages. Is that proper grammar? Pilgrimages? His three Camino de Santiago pilgrimages. (laughs) Enjoy our conversation about philanthropy, pilgrimage, and love giving well. Hey, everybody, and welcome to My Parents' Basement. It has been a while. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to my cousin, Mark Peterson, and we're going to talk about his adventures uh, at the Santiago or the Camino de Santiago. You have had a pretty exciting life. I had this, like, really, this, I don't know if I'd call it an epiphany or just a, a moment of reflecting on how cool our family is. But <laughs> when I was thinking about podcast guests, I was like, cool oh. or warped? Well, both. <laughs> a, little, a little both. Weird is wonderful. Sense. Yeah, weird and wonderful. So, anyways, I was thinking about people to have on the podcast and I was going through the roster of, of family members and I was like, holy cow, we have so many people in our family that have lived or live exciting or different or warped or whatever you want to call it lives. And <laughs> that's a terrible segue into, into introducing you, but, um, <laughs> so Mark is, uh, Mark has done this Camino de Santiago several times, and he's also spent a significant amount of time overseas working with charities in places like Colombia. And I noticed on your, on your website, you also mentioned in Asia, maybe we can, uh, talk about that quick as well, but, yeah. um, and and you've just had a, an interesting life of working with charity, working with in, in philanthropy, uh, having experiences overseas in um, you know poor areas of the world, and um, now you have a, a website and podcast and organization, uh, Stronger Philanthropy, and that's uh, strongerphilanthropy.ca. I'll put all the, the links in the show notes so people can check that stuff out and the podcast as well on iTunes. And I'm, I'm not sure if there's other, other places you want to plug that you can find that as well. Yeah. It's on Android apps as well. Okay, uh, perfect. And that, that's all at uh, strongerphilanthropy.ca. Yeah. Um, so just a kind of a range of, of things that you've experienced in your life. And the thing that kind of caught my attention the last little while was your desire to walk the Camino because you've done it more than once. I have. So yes, it takes a special kind of, you know, person to 
make that kind of call. <laughs> yeah. Because you know what? It's so tough. It yeah. is a tough thing to do to walk the Camino. The The Camino is a 800 kilometer journey across Spain uh, from the French border all the way to the northwest uh, corner of Spain, the city of Santiago. And takes about 33 days to walk that whole thing if you have kind of an average person's gait. And um, so, you know, you're walking along and there are many times during the walk when you think, why the heck am I doing this? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you want to give up. I mean, it is really hard. And you know, it doesn't, you're walking about about 25 kilometers per day on average, um, over mountains, through vineyards, along, uh, urban streets, through rural countryside, uh, vineyards, little tiny trails that are as wide as you are to wide pathways that are as big as uh, a highway. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the Camino changes as you walk along it. And uh, there's signs that point out along the way which way to go, um, mainly through yellow arrows that are painted on the streets or painted on posts or rocks or buildings or whatever. So 800 kilometers and uh, 25 kilometers a day, and you still decided to do it more than once. So maybe yeah. <laughs> give, give, <laughs> give me some context of, of like if you could chat a little bit about like your experiences before this, the Camino and and what kind of led up to you wanting to do it the first time. And then why, why again? Yeah. Yeah. I've had a really full life and very busy, uh, full of, uh, amazing experiences, but I went through, uh, a real dark patch, uh, and time of, um, introspection and feeling trapped and feeling stuck um, just like many of us go through in our lives and when I was in this in the middle of this patch my wife Karen she gave to me uh, a book for Christmas uh, which ended up being um, one of the guidebooks for the Camino written by Briarly um, if you google John Briarly B-R-I-E-R-L-E-Y it's a, it's a great guidebook for the community if you want to walk it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she gave that to me one Christmas when I was going through this uh, struggle. And, and I thought, wow, like this kind of gave me an imagination for walking the Camino and kind of moving out of that zone that I was in. And I said, you know what, I'm, I was almost 50 at that point. And I thought, you know what, for my 50th birthday, that would be a great milestone thing to do. And just to kind of walk away from this place. And uh, so I I decided to do it. And um, as I approached um, the date of departure, which was, so this was in 2014 when I walked the first time. And I walked the Camino Frances. So this is the traditional route that people walk on through Spain. It's the one in this guide, guidebook. I later discovered that there's many Caminos in Spain. Mm-hmm. It's not just one. There's there's several different ones, um, many different routes. And the origin of the whole Camino thing is it's a it's a thousand year old tradition. It's a Catholic pilgrimage that um, started throughout Europe. People would walk out their front door 
and just start walking to Santiago. Hmm. And so that's why these multiple different Caminos ended up developing. Um, because people would coalesce along different ways. So the French would end up on this French way that I ended up walking along. And uh, you end up walking to Santiago, which was the, the location of the bones of St. James, the Apostle of Christ. And uh, they, they say that James was the, the apostle that brought uh, the Christian faith to Spain um, when Jesus sent out his disciples to all the world. And later, James went back to Jerusalem, and he was beheaded by King Herod in the year 44 AD. And James's buddies took his remains and took them back to Spain, as um, because he knew that that they knew that that's where his his calling was or his heart. Hmm. And somehow they they've decided, or people have the the legend at least is that the remains that are located in the, in the cathedral in Santiago uh, are those of St. James. And so people ended up, during the Middle Ages, walking this 800-kilometer, this, uh, uh, if not longer, pathway uh, from different points in Europe to Santiago. That's how it all started. So anyway, you know, roll up to 2014, and, and I decided to walk it. And... Um, my son, Nate, he uh, he heard I was going. We chatted about it, and he he kind of said to me, Hey, Dad, <laughs> I would really like to do that with you. So it ended up becoming a father-son uh, walk. And so he was 21 at the time. And it ended up being a fantastic father-son bonding moment. We had so many amazing experiences walking together. And then my wife, Karen, uh, ended up joining us for the final portion of the Camino. And so we walked into Santiago. Then, then I went home. And I'll, I, I can give you more description of all of that. But then I went home back to Canada. And uh, over the next year, this walk that I had done just kept reverberating in my mind and spirit. And I just kept thinking, wow, like there's a whole other Camino out there. One I haven't done, you know, and I, there's a, a great forum on the internet called uh, Camino forum. If you Google that, it's a, a great uh, online uh, community where people are talking about the Camino. And if any of your listeners have interest, it's a great place to get information on the Camino. Um, so, I, d I decided, hey, I'm going to do another Camino next year. So the following summer in 2015, I walked the Camino del Norte, which is the northern route, uh, also from the French border, but along the coastline of northern Spain. And uh, the the views along that Camino are absolutely spectacular. Cliffs right along the ocean hmm. and you, a lot of ups and downs. It's very mountainous. And uh, that takes you straight into Santiago as well. Mm -hmm. And then this past summer, I also did a third Camino. And that, that was the Via de la Plata, which is the southern uh, Camino from Seville in the south all the way up north to Santiago. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's normally a six-week-long walk, but I, uh, I only had four weeks to give. So I started further up okay. the pathway. And uh, and walked for four weeks this summer. Wow. 
So three times. So three times. Three yeah. Times. Now, do you have do you have goals of going back again? Are you planning <laughs> on doing every route of the Camino? Or <laughs> it usually it usually hits me in February. I, I I've kind of. I've kind of likened the Camino to kind of like childbirth, you know, like, yeah. you know, mothers give birth to the baby. They say, I'm never having another kid again because right. it's so painful. <laughs> and then right around when they're two years old and they're toddling around, they're so adorable. That's when they get pregnant again. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I have no, com- no commitment, no plans right now to walk again, but you never say never. Yeah. So I, and, and I, I mean, you, you just get hooked. And, and the, the thing that, that I love about the Camino is you, you just make all kinds of great connections and friends. Right. So the past Camino, I just did the Via de la Plata. I ended up walking every day with this Australian guy that I met the, my very first day of walking and we become good friends and he's on Facebook with me and he's, um, he's told me, uh, well, he, he let me know that he's walking the Camino right now, uh, the Camino del Norte, the one that I had already done. So every day I'm getting updates from him, photos of his Camino. And like, it's just kind of an addiction, I think. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was what I was going to ask was, what what do you think it is that, that uh, kind of draws you back? It's, like, obviously, there's an experience there that's not just suffering physically. There's... Right there's something that draws you back, uh, to want to kind of suffer again. Yeah. Um, Cause it is suffering. It is suffering. It's, it's painful often. Uh, but there is a weird kind of liberation as you walk and as you let go, you realize, you know, you're carrying everything you own on your back mm-hmm. and every night you don't know where you're going to put your head that night and you end up arriving into town and finding a hostel to sleep in and you're sleeping in very simple accommodation, dorm rooms, bunk, you know, hostels, uh, bunk beds, you know, it's not the a luxury environment. Everybody's living very simply and, and it's very, I mean, it's inexpensive to walk it once you're there. I mean, the flight over is expensive, but, but once you're actually walking, you know, it's just, uh, paying for your meals. Some people, some people will stop in at grocery stores and, and buy, you know, food to prepare in the kitchen of the albergue where you stay or in the hostel. Right. Um, others eat out in cafes and, uh, you know, it's up to everybody's, uh, everybody to decide what they do, but you can do it quite inexpensively if you want. Mm-hmm. Are there stretches of the Camino, because you're talking about staying at hostels along the way and walking, you know, an average 25 kilometers a day. Are there stretches where you need, like, there's nothing in between, so you have to kind of go a certain distance without um, without any cafes or grocery stores or hostels along the way? Yeah, that's a great question. Um on the Camino Frances, that's the traditional one that most people do. Probably 90% or more of people that walk the Camino walk on the Camino Frances. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that one is so popular that um, it's built up an infrastructure around the Camino. Right. And so, so Spaniards are opening up bars and restaurants and cafes and hostels 
all along the route uh, in, in villages all along the way. And so, you know, there's lots of it that is through countryside, but uh, the villages are fairly, you know, evenly spaced out like every hour or two you're passing through a village. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's one day on the Camino Frances where you walk 17 kilometers with nothing except wheat fields. Um, but mainly there's lots of places along the way. However, uh, in contrast to that, however, um, on the other Caminos in Spain that are less frequently traveled, uh, you can go for long distances with nothing. And so on the Via de la Plata that I just did this summer, there was, you know, a day when we walked, I think, 32 kilometers and <laughs> ended up in a, in a village. And uh, we actually ended up drinking beers at the cafe before we went to the hostel. And it was a group of four of us, a German and two Germans and an, and my Aussie friend. And we drank uh, some beers together, and then late in the evening, we decided, oh, well, let's go find the hostel. And uh, anyway, the lady had shut the door and wouldn't open it. Oh, and, no. <laughs> and said, you're on your own, guys. Oh, no. So we ended up sleeping on picnic tables that night. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So there's, so are there several hostels in a village, or is it? are you, you kind of limited in terms of, like, there's Again, a... Yeah, again, it's kind of like based on the demand. And right, so right, right. on that well-traveled Camino, there's lots of options generally. Yeah. Um, the one I just did this past summer, it, it was not, it's not very well-traveled. So, right, right. so in that case, I just mentioned there was only one option. <laughs> yeah. So how, how does your experience then differ from, say, the first, the, the first Camino that might have been the more popular route to take versus... The next two, was there a yeah. similar experience, or was it easier, or did you just find different challenges uh, with different routes, or how, how were the how were they different? Yeah, they are very different. Each one, there are similarities, but there are differences. Um, I found the first one, the most traveled one, the Camino Frances, to be a wonderful, remarkable journey, and. I would highly recommend it for anybody that's considering doing the Camino and has never done it before. Mm-hmm. Do do that one as the starting point. Um, it's there is a spirituality along that route that is very special, and um, because there are volumes of people on that walk, um, the churches, for example, stay open and have there's evening masses. Um, in the villages. So when you're walking through, you can go to evening mass. Um, there's uh, shrines, there's just different places all along the way that make it a spiritual, more spiritually meaningful experience. Mm-hmm. At least it did for me. Um, on some of these other less traveled Caminos, um, you have to remember you're walking basically through very rural uh, villages. A lot of Spain's villages, um, they've emptied out and next generation of Spaniards have moved into the city for work. You know, there's no work in these little tiny villages. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of shutting down, you know, these, they're kind of like becoming ghost towns in a way. Um, And so, so there's less of the, you know, kind of 
spiritual opportunity in these places. I should say that's in a formal sense. There's a lot of spiritual life along the Camino, whether the churches are open or not. Mm-hmm. Depends on your your openness yourself, whether you're right. open to experiencing God. So walking in nature is is just as delightful a spiritual experience as going into the churches. That was one of the things I was thinking about, too, is uh, a lot of people walk it for religious or spiritual reasons, and a lot of people just walk it for a time of reflection or removing themselves from mm. wherever they are in life. And I was trying to trying to envision how that affects the, the uh, atmosphere of the walk. Like, if you're walking with other people who are looking for... Uh, sort of a time of silence and reflection and spirituality. How does that affect your interaction with other people on the walk? Um, I'm sure there's like, I'm sure there's an element that you just have to experience of it, of course, with, with all of these things. But, but I was just wondering how that would affect your interactions with people as you walk. Hmm. Well, uh, everybody's walking the Camino for their own reason. And um, I think it's the, the, one of the things I, I learned on the Camino is you can never judge. You can never, you know, uh, presume to know why anybody's walking the Camino or what kind of meaning they're attributing to it. Um, I think whether people have a spirituality or don't have a spirituality, you know, whether they're a traditional Christian or traditional religious person in another faith or have no religious faith, um, the Camino is filled with all kinds of people with all kinds of different motivations for walking. And, and the thing I love about it is that as you walk with all of these people, you realize that you're one, that Mm -hmm. the things that divide us, whether it's religion or gender or, uh, occupation or nationality, uh, these things don't mean anything. And we are all walking together in this, in this earth. And, uh, we're all trying to do the best and survive right. <laughs> and hopefully right. thrive, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that that's what I mean about this beautiful Camino family or the beautiful relationships that develop, you know, like with this friend Ryan and the German women that we walked with and then the Italian and the French uh, couple that we walked with eventually as well. You know, we became very close and, we certainly don't share the same religious perspectives or we're not the same age necessarily. Um, but we became to, we came to really rely on one another, um, care for one another. And, uh, somehow this (laughs) suffering together bonds you in a, in a unique way. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that's one of the factors that kind of draws you back to, would you say like just the the fact that people's barriers kind of, are down and everybody's just relying on each other and realizing that everybody's in it together. Cause I would and, love to do it sometime. And I think that would be one of the really cool, unique experiences of it. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I remember, you know, just this image is coming to my mind of this past Camino of near the end, we were walking with, uh, this, this guy named, um, Jesus from Barcelona, Jesus, it's spelled Jesus, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so we were, we were joking that we were walking with Jesus. <laughs> uh, but it was this, this fellow named Jesus from Barcelona, a Catalan. 
And uh, so he's he had some kind of medical background of some kind. I think he was in the army as a medic in the Spanish army. And uh, anyway, so my buddy Ryan was, uh, his feet were giving him problems. He had, he had, you know, blisters breaking out on his feet and kind of tendonitis and that sort of thing going on. And so he really needed some foot care. And so Jesus, you know, tells him take off your sock you know and and he's starting to care for ryan's foot and he's you know bandaging it up putting ointment on and everything and i took a picture of jesus uh you know caring for ryan's feet and you know it was just a basic uh moment of one man caring for another man mm-hmm. and you know it reminded me of the story of jesus washing his disciples feet uh, which for me is a story of, you know, caring for your fellow human being and showing love. And, you know, we, we tend to want to put our <laughs> best foot forward <laughs> and, you know, have, have everything all together and, you know, appear to be perfect, uh, appear to have it, have everything all together. But when your life is falling apart, even physically, like like Ryan on the Camino with mm-hmm. his feet giving him such problems, uh, you need other people to help you out. Right. And so him accepting Jesus's assistance, you know, and and I, I find men are very you know reticent to letting other men you know touch their feet. For example, that's kind of a weird thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it just kind of you know struck me how it was a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Just two two complete strangers from different areas and. Yeah, helping each other along the way—that's really cool. Is that? I would imagine that that's a fairly common thing—is to have you know these physical ailments along the way. It's not. It's a. It's a. How long did you say? Four to six weeks for most of them, or? Yeah, 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 it, and yeah. The Camino really is as long as you want it to be. Right. So, right. If you have two weeks, then you, maybe you walk for two weeks. Um, right. Right. So, but, but the, generally a month. And and I would imagine that the the blisters and and uh you know issues like that are fairly common did you have any bad experiences physically with uh with just the kind of day-to-day physical exertion yeah wear and tear (laughs) yeah uh i was fortunate not to have major problems that way um i got a couple of really small blisters maybe over over these caminos um i did notice on all three, I think, no, it was the first and the third Caminos, at least, uh, where I think the constant, you know, stress and strain of doing the walk every day for such long periods after a couple weeks, after a couple of weeks, you kind of think, hey, I'm over it. You know, I can kind of, I can do this and I can, right. I can forge ahead. And so I think, I find that after a couple of weeks of doing it, you start to really kind of drive on ahead. There's something in you that that pushes you forward, but in an unhealthy way, like it's too much. Right. And you need to learn to listen to your body and not push yourself because you have to, you have to discipline yourself to not go beyond what you're able to. Yeah. And so I found that at the two week mark, um, on a couple of those Caminos that I started getting like really sore, ten like tendonitis, um, in my ankles mm. and 
and it would start twinging. And so as you're walking, you're feeling this pain and the solution for that is really rest. Yeah. And so on both of those occasions, I took a day rest day and you ice it up and you take ibuprofen and, and a day of rest is usually enough to kind of get you back in working form again. Right. <laughs> if you listen to your body. Though. Yeah. Yeah. You know that there's other people that don't listen and, and they have to end their Camino cause it's, they're just, they have to go to the clinic or have yeah. medical attention of some kind. It was interesting. I was reading up on some frequently asked questions and stuff about the Camino and, yeah. and, uh, one of the things was how it's, it's more common for younger people to have, uh, trouble <laughs> physically because they, they can't pace themselves, right? Like <laughs> right. they get yeah. so ambitious, they show up and they think I'm going to do this in three days, you know? And then yeah. all of a sudden it's their, you know, they're two weeks in and, and they've got nothing left and they realize they have to kind of pace themselves. Yeah, so I've seen that so many times yeah. and it is, it is the younger ones that yeah. do, do suffer that way more. You know, the Camino humbles you mm -hmm. and you need to submit to it. And we don't like to do that with anything. Generally, if we're, um, you know, strong-willed people like we are in the West, yeah, we like to forge our own way forward. But you need to submit to something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And the Camino is what you learn to uh, submit to. Another thing that I was wondering about is how do you how would how do you pass the time? Because you've got a, probably a lot of time to just be silent and be with your <laughs> thoughts. I'm assuming, uh, which could be good or bad. Fortunately, I have a scintillating personality, so <laughs> I don't get bored with myself. <laughs> no, um, that's a great question. I mean, it, it's so funny because, like, um, I think before I walked it, I wondered what would happen. Like, wouldn't I be bored with that, the walk and being alone and all of that sort of thing? And and now after having done it a few times, um, there is definitely boredom, but... I don't feel threatened by it or I, I'm not really too concerned about that anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, there is boredom on my third Camino. I did listen to some podcasts as I was walking. Mm -hmm. So that was something I did. I didn't do that on my first two Caminos. Um, I guess I was trying to be more of a purist then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and disconnect from everything at that point. But, um, but you, you know, you're, you, you can always walk alone but you can often find people that that are also walking and walk with them. Yeah, it's interesting because the Camino itself, like you can, you're barely, you're basically walking six to eight hours a day, let's say, um, including coffee breaks and stopping along the way, perhaps. Right. Um, but that gives you, you know, another eight hours of waking up time in the village that you're ending up in, mm -hmm. and you're you're doing your laundry there you're um having a nap you're going out with new friends and having a meal together or you're cooking in the kitchen together uh, or you're just shooting the breeze with people um there's a lot of social interaction along the camino yeah um again everybody has their own threshold some people love socializing constantly and other people need more alone time sure so I would assume that you'd have a bit of an advantage speaking Spanish. Uh, yeah, actually, it is a huge advantage. It's, it, but it's not, and, and 
yeah, for me personally, that's one of the things that draws me to the Camino is I love, I love uh, speaking Spanish. I love relating to people who are Spaniards or, or Latin American um, speakers, uh, Spanish speakers from Latin America. Um, but saying that, if you don't speak any Spanish, you can still do the Camino. You don't need Spanish to walk the Camino. You, you'll you just learn to communicate with gestures and mm-hmm. single words. Right, right. <laughs> and English English is uh, is kind of a lingua franca on the Camino um, amongst the walkers, the ones who are walking it. Yeah. Amongst the Spaniards, the ones who live along the Camino and are providing services to the pilgrims, uh, most of them wouldn't speak English at all. They just speak right. Spanish. Right. So it'd be yeah. a bit of an advantage when you get back to the hostel or the village where you want to have some food or coffee. Yeah. Another thing that just I just thought of, you, you work with charity and philanthropy, and most of your life has kind of been involved in that in that area. I'm curious how, if at all, the experience of the Camino has affected your approach to that. Ah. Uh. <laughs> What a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. And that's actually why I wrote my book. I don't know if you knew that. I knew you I were wrote, writing a book. But that's what my book is about. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> so good for you. <laughs> but I wrote a book. Uh, it's called Love Giving Well, mm-hmm. Philanthropy as Pilgrimage. Okay. And it's, Is it out it, now, Mark? It's not yet out, okay. but I'll let, I'll let you know when it is. Okay, it's, good. Uh, the publisher is doing edits on it right now, and um, they told me it should come out sometime in 2017. Okay, good. Um, I thought but, for a second I didn't do enough homework there. No. I felt bad. <laughs> it <is not> hard. <laughs> it's a long process. Yeah, I bet. Kind of like the Camino. Yeah. Get a book published. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, but the book is actually about, it actually deals with the very question you asked. Um, and I, I tell my own story of working in charity and and uh, the idea of philanthropy and, and how my own understandings have changed as a result of doing the Camino. And in the book, I, I um, am basically uh, introducing each chapter of my book is introduced with an excerpt from my journal from that Camino. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of gives you a sense of, you know, forward motion, movement along um, and evolution of your thinking, you know, as you're walking along. Right. Um, And I would describe how my ideas around philanthropy have shifted and changed over this period as well. Um, So, yeah. And and I guess just if I would summarize the book, I, I guess what I would say is. Many times when we think of giving back or when we think of being philanthropic or giving to charity, um, it can become quite a transactional thing, you know, like it's like sticking your ATM, uh, your debit card into an ATM machine. Mm-hmm. It's like an exchange um, where you text you text uh, $5 to uh, the Red Cross or whatever, and right, it's right. a transaction, you know, yeah. in response to a crisis. Uh, and and there's 
that's great. You know, like there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I think what philanthropy can be is something deeper than that, where when you learn to walk alongside the poor and realize that it's not all about what you are doing to give to them, but you mutually are learning from each other and giving and receiving together, um, that that is a more powerful transformational way to do philanthropy. It's not just about one, the haves and the have nots, the person who gives and the person who receives. It's rather about us as a community who share assets, whether it's financial assets or it's interpersonal assets, family assets, um, stories, dreams, visions, you know, Mm -hmm. all of these things are contributed together. And I found my own life completely blown apart and humbled by uh, people who have loved me and given to me in moments of my need, even when I thought I was the one doing the giving to them. Right. So I don't know if that's clear. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, (laughs) But that's kind of the the thought behind my book and how I feel I've been changed by on my journey of philanthropy. No, that totally makes sense. I think you hear that frequently from people who get involved in, in something and they go to help someone who's quote unquote less fortunate. And then they, yeah. they realize that they're the ones learning the lesson in the process. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting thought. And, and I don't know, this is kind of a, a maybe a little bit of a, a digression from the the Santiago, but um, I I was thinking about as a younger person. I use I use quotations because I'm not that young, but I'm seeing your air quotes. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> younger person. I think I, I do think it's a an interesting topic for younger people on on giving back charity. You know how how can we? We're always going into Walmart or. You know, if the LCBO is another common one where you get the question, do you want to donate to this cause, this cause? And I've always found it a little bit uh, frustrating not knowing, you know, is this is this going to help someone? Yeah. Yes, I want to help someone financially, but I also want to make sure that it's it's going to be efficient and it's the right thing to give to. And I think, I think yeah. that people, especially young people, can be overwhelmed with this whole idea of giving financially or giving, um, of their time. And I wonder if you have any suggestions for young people who want to contribute, um, to, to something, but, but they're kind of stuck in, in not knowing where to give their time or give their, give their finances. Do you think it'd be, be better for someone to volunteer versus donate to a charity or, do you have any suggestions for for some people who might be questioning that sort of thing? I think um, the first thing to do would just be to pay attention to what's around you and start opening your eyes to relationships and needs that are around mm-hmm. and and choose one thing. Um, you know, like... I find often I'm completely paralyzed because there's so many people coming at you with various requests. Yeah. And, you know, and even from the cash register at the LCPO, for example, to the supermarket, 
you know, everybody's always asking for a donation to something. And I've learned to just feel complete freedom and saying, no, not, uh, I'm sorry, not today or whatever. I just refuse because I know that I'm investing my time, my, um, charitable money. I'm investing that in specific relationships and causes. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's important to kind of channel your energy towards one area. Um, one one set of relationships, one community, mm-hmm. um, if you can, and I would start there. Do you think it's important to be uh, involved or near your contributions? I think yeah. I think that um, if you want to be transformed by those relationships, you have to be near them. Yeah. And and so I would get near them. So some people do have a passion for international stuff, um, you know, but start, you know, saving towards being in relationship with those people. Right. Right. Um, or if it's in your, in your local community, then develop those relationships. Um, I would, I would recommend that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the idea is go in with kind of an open heart and willing to be changed yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't go in with answers. Don't go in with, uh, don't go in thinking that you know the solution to their problem. Right. Um, or looking for a know, tax receipt or something. Or go, or for, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a nice benefit, but it's, it's not yeah. the reason we're giving. For sure. That, yeah. yeah. So back to this uh, Camino. Um, so you've been writing this book. Did you write it? Did you write the book over the course of all three? Uh, uh, walks? The book. The book is focused on my second walk. Second walk, okay. Yeah. Um, so the journal entries are from my complete uh, second walk that I did. Cool. Okay. I wanted to see if you had a funny interaction that you can remember from uh, from any of the three Caminos that you've done. A funny interaction or experience that sticks out that you'd want okay. to share. A funny interaction or experience. We can come back to that too if you want to think about it, but... Well, I'll tell you one. The uh, so on the second Camino, the Camino del Norte. This is along the northern coast of Spain, rocky cliffs, and I'm walking, and I'm walking with an American and a German, um, and they both were walking with these professional walking poles. You know those. You can imagine what those look yeah. like, right? Yeah. And I always kind of consider those kind of geeky. You yeah. Know, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, but, and so I never had, I never owned them (laughs) on my first Camino. I, when I walked the first Camino, uh, with my son, we both, when we started the Camino, we bought these walking staffs, you know, wooden branches basically that were carved into staffs. And we walked with those and they were great support. And you kind of become very attached to your stick as you're walking. Like it becomes kind of like a friend and, um, when when we flew home from Spain to Canada after the very first Camino, the airline wouldn't let us take our sticks on the plane with us. So they they told us we had to check them. Okay. So I checked my stick, and when I got to Toronto, it never showed up. Oh no! And so I lost this stick that I've been walking with through Spain. So that was so I was pissed off about that. Yeah. 
<laughs> but what do you do? You can't do anything. And it didn't. It wasn't like there was an, a value, a financial value to it. It probably cost twenty bucks or something. Um, but um, it was the emotional attachment I had to it that we I lost. Anyway, so I went on the second Camino, and I didn't have a stick. But the I was walking with these these two people that had these professional walking poles, and uh, walking through this forest, mountainous forested area on about my fourth or fifth day of walking. And the conversation kind of came around to our walking poles. And they said to me, well, why don't you have any poles? And I described this situation that I had lost my stick the year before and I didn't have one this year. And they said, oh, well, we should help find you a stick. And so we're walking through the forest and the two of them are like scrounging in the forest for a walking stick for me. And it was slowing us down and it was kind of misty, rainy a little bit. And I'm kind of going, hey guys, forget about my stick. I don't need a stick. Just forget, let's keep walking. Let's keep going ahead. I said, my stick will come to me when it's time. Yep. Okay. I said that to them within two minutes of saying that to them, we're in the middle of nowhere in this forest, no people around. Within two minutes of saying, my stick will come to me when it's time. There was a man in the forest, a Basque man. He comes out of the forest holding a saw and he yelled up to me and he said, hey, you, you need a stick. <laughs> That's Spanish. hilarious. And I go, yeah, I do. <laughs> And he comes over and he had, he cuts down a branch and he trims it and he gives me this perfectly formed stick so I can walk along the Camino. That's hilarious. I know. And <laughs> it's just one of many examples of how the, one of the sayings on the Camino is the Camino provides, you know, like mm -hmm. you don't have to go looking for stuff. If you need it, it will come to you. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> The, one of the last questions that I'd, I'd be interested to hear about, and you can feel free to, to, I know you've been doing some talks around about the Camino. You're a professional now that you've done three. I'm sure that's <laughs> more than the average person. Um, and I know you've been doing some chats um, locally to people about the Camino. Yeah. And uh, you feel free to expand on anything else that you want to share um, or tell us where, and, and tell us where we can find your book and stuff coming out. Um, but I wanted to f find out what the, what your biggest lesson was. Um, and if you feel like there's different takeaways, um, you know, with wh whatever you're comfortable sharing, obviously, but if, if there are different takeaways from each Camino, um, mm. what, what were the three biggest lessons, one, one to three biggest lessons that you learned walking yeah. the Camino. Well, I mean, this is something that I've thought of, uh, tried to, uh, trying, trying to integrate these experiences into my life, you know? Um, cause I mean, I think it's important not to just, uh, I think what I've gone through in walking the Camino three times, um, is a tremendous gift and I need to integrate it into my life. Um, I can't just kind of let it go right. because, uh, it'd be like, there's a treasure there I have to read, you know, embrace for my life. Um, I, I feel like that first, uh, and, and so because of that, I've looked at each of the three Caminos and I've come up with a word for each Camino, what each Camino has meant for me. Um, there's many more benefits that have happened, but I tried to summarize 
each Camino in a word. For me, the first one was about a healing, you know, from this dark place I was in. And uh, there's a place along the Camino Frances that you walk where you carry a stone from home. You collect a stone and you carry it in your backpack and you walk every day with a stone. But near the end of the Camino, there's a, a mountain you climb and at the top of the mountain is a cross and you leave your stone behind. And there's a mountain of stones all mm. piled there of people that have left their stone behind from their home. And so I left that stone behind. And for me, that was a real moment of healing and freedom. Uh, there's a, oh, just, I'll throw this in. Just as we were climbing that mountain, we were walking with a Texan. And she was an Air Force major in the U.S. Air Force. And she starts singing the song from the birds. Uh, turn, turn, turn. I don't right. know if you know it. Yeah. There to is everything, a season, yeah. To everything there is a season. <laughs> turn, turn, turn. Yeah. Uh, a, a time to be born, a time to die. One of the lines in the song is, a time to gather stones and a time to cast them away. Hmm. And so that's what we were doing that day is casting these stones away. Um, on the second Camino, my word there was union. And on that Camino, it was so interesting. I was walking all by myself, but somehow this Camino family formed and these people, random people, I had no, I would have no reason to be in relationship with them in my kind of normal life, uh, on the Camino became a family to me. And so I walked for the first two weeks with, um, a Muslim fellow that attended a Quaker church. And so I don't know how you, you know, work through that theologically, but um, he was such a wonderful friend to me on that Camino. Um, and then I ended up on the second half of that Camino walking with a, a young French anarchist <laughs> guy who, who was kind of a hobo in a way. Uh, he had been walking for three months uh, wow. all the way from Northern France. Wow. And, and uh, I've stayed in touch with him. He's still on the road today. And then, and, but the idea of union, like I, I felt like we were one despite all of our various differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, there was something that bound us together as one. And so the idea of union has stayed with me. And on the third Camino, the, it kind of in contrast to union, the idea of detachment has come to me on that Camino. Um, in the sense that, um, you know, at, when you're at home, you're going through your regular daily life. Uh, things get tough. Relationships are hard. Um, it's hard to it's hard to live life, and uh, and so this idea of detachment was really helpful for me. Um, kind of, it's kind of like prioritizing what really matters in life, and you realize that all the things that we spend all of our energy in here in our normal day to day lives they really aren't all that important. Most of those things, some of them are, but most of them are not really as, as important as we give them credit. And, uh, so the process of detachment for me on walking this third Camino was really liberating and, and wonderful just to kind of let go of all of those expectations that other people place on you and, you know, just live your life, um, in relation to others. Yes. But, uh, caring for yourself first, I think, is important. Mm-hmm. 
which is something that often gets uh, sort of missed in in the areas of charity and uh, professions that that are hmm. giving when back. I think, when, yeah, yeah, when you're giving out all the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. So union, or so sorry, um, healing, healing, union, union, and detachment. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, actually I did, I did want to mention that I, I do sympathize with your connection to your stick. I maybe <laughs> what on, happened to you, maybe on a smaller scale, but, uh, when we, when we first moved into the basement here, um, my sort of along, along the recovery process, I, I was allowed to have two walks a day to get my exercise and that sort of thing. And yeah. because of, you know, stimulation and stuff, I kind of had to limit it to, the forest out back and I found my stick. I found a walking stick mm. and I, uh, it's still actually, it's still out back kind of leaning against the deck. I've kept, I've held onto it for the last year, but every time I would go out into the forest, I would take my walking stick and bring it along with me. Sometimes I would find a hiding place and, and put it behind a tree or something and, and tangle it in a vine. And then the next day I would come and find it and pull it out. And if, and I, <laughs> I'm on, I'm on stick 2.0 because the first one I hid in a spot and I'm pretty sure a high school kid took it and I was, uh, I was devastated. So yeah. I feel like on a small scale, I can sympathize with your, uh, with your stick <laughs> conundrum. <laughs> so obviously this is like a, this is an experiential thing and you can talk about all these things as much as you want, but you're never going to get, you're never going to get the the lessons or the transformation without doing something yourself. You know, like you can hear yeah. people's experiences, but you have to do something to experience tra transformation. And the reality is not everybody can, can do a Camino. Right. Is there something that you would recommend for people who can't, yet get to the point of doing um, the Camino de Santiago? Is there something smaller scale, something local that you would suggest yeah. for people who are looking a similar for a similar kind of transformation? It's one step after the other. And so just start walking. If, if, if the Camino is calling you, uh, walk out your front door and start walking mm -hmm. and, and just start doing it every day. Um, you know, I think that, uh, we make things too hard sometimes, like we give excuses to ourselves, like it's too far to go to Spain and I could never do that, but we can all walk out our front door. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's all that's needed to start with. Boom. <laughs> Mike, Mike <laughs> dropped. Mike, no, I like it. It's good. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I hope, I hope we can stay in touch so that, uh, when your book is out, we can share that and, uh, get people, uh, interested in, in pursuing some transformation and, and learning more about healing union and detachment and all sorts of other cool lessons. <laughs> I look forward to it. Thanks, AJ. Thanks for chatting, man. Mark Peterson, everyone. I want to thank Mark again for taking the time to chat on the podcast and you guys should definitely go check out his website, strongerphilanthropy.ca. If you go to strongerphilanthropy.ca slash book, you can pre-order his book, Love Giving Well, The Pilgrimage of Philanthropy from the publisher directly or uh, amazon.ca. And I'm sure he would very much appreciate you doing that. And I would too. I'm really interested by this subject because I feel like 
the last little, the last stage of um, our lives has sort of been a metaphorical pilgrimage. And uh, I do at some point want to do either the Camino de Santiago or some sort of similar pilgrimage where you take a, a long time of physical struggle and seclusion and reflection. And uh, I think it's, uh, I think it, it's an important development piece for people, for everybody. So if you're interested in the subject, check out the links in the show notes. And uh, hopefully there won't be as long uh, a wait between this podcast and the next podcast. But thank you guys for listening. We always appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.